0: And what I see in our industry a lot is people making incremental improvements to existing technologies. Um, what I'm looking for in the companies I'm turning around or the companies I get involved with is, can we make a leap? Uh, is there something where we can leap forward, we can really stand out? So that leap can be, that I have a new, faster, better way of doing this that is maybe five to 10 years ahead of where everyone else is in terms of development. That could be. Or it could be that that leap is related more to, there's a need in the marketplace and there isn't yet a product that fills that need.
1: Welcome to Medsider Radio, where you can learn from proven med tech and healthcare thought leaders through uncut and unedited interviews. Now, here's your host, Scott Nelson. Hey everyone, it's Scott. In this episode of MedSider Radio, we're chatting with Jared Bauer, who's the CEO of Ionic Sciences, makers of a device that uses bioimpedance to detect cancer as early as the first or second stage. In this interview, Jared explains the two key factors he looks at when determining whether a medical device company is worth trying to turn around, why finding investors who really care about your mission is a strategic benefit. And why Jared believes direct-to-consumer is the future of healthcare. Okay, so before we jump into the discussion, I want to mention a few things. First, since you're listening to Medsider, you're probably aware of how expensive it is to run clinical trials. Anyone who spent time in the MedTech space knows that you typically need to commit hundreds of thousands of dollars, oftentimes millions, towards clinical research. But it doesn't have to be that way. And here's why. ProofPilot is a new kind of hybrid clinical trial platform that enables you to run decentralized studies at costs that are 40 to 80% below traditional approaches. This is how they do it. First, you can easily design a trial in the ProofPilot visual protocol designer using their extensive library of templates. Next, you can launch those trials to participants and virtual staff without any technical development. Skip the integration of disconnected providers because ProofPilot pulls it all together seamlessly. For example, you can recruit, consent, and retain participants, then schedule, remind, and collect data, often with minimal manual labor, manage site data in real-time, query adverse events quickly, and review data and preliminary analysis within hours, all in one compliant platform. Get up and running quickly with an annual license fee and launch as many trials as you like with an unlimited number of participants. To get started visit medsiderradio.com forward slash proof pilot again that's medsiderradio.com forward slash proof pilot for the medsider audience with an annual contract proof pilot will provide irb approval for your first study at no cost some exclusions apply so visit medsiderradio.com forward slash proof pilot to learn more okay second if you're into learning from proven medtech leaders and want to know when the new content and interviews go live, head over to MedSider.com and sign up for our free newsletter. You'll get access to gated articles and lots of other interesting healthcare content. If you want even more inside info from medtech experts, think about a MedSider premium membership. We talk to experienced healthcare leaders about the nuts and bolts of running a business and bringing products to market. This is your place for valuable knowledge on specific topics like seed funding, prototyping, insurance reimbursement, and positioning a MedTech startup for an exit. In addition to the entire back catalog of Medsider interviews over the past decade, premium members get exclusive Ask Me Anything interviews and masterclasses with some of the world's most successful MedTech founders and executives. Since making the premium memberships available, I've been pleasantly surprised at how many people have signed up. So if you're interested, go to medsider.com to learn more. All right, without further ado, let's get to the interview. Jared, welcome to uh, MedSider Radio. Thanks. It's great to be here. Yeah. No. Looking forward to the conversation. So I provided um, kind of a high level sort of intro, right, uh, regarding your background at the outset of this this conversation. But let's start there. If you can help uh, help set the stage for the rest rest of the discussion, just provide maybe some additional context regarding uh, your uh, your time leading up to uh, leading Ionic. Yeah, I've been in the industry for
0: about 10 years, um, got into the industry right after completing my MBA and I started out on the device side with a company called Xero Medical. We took a product burn free called burn free and we took that product international uh, globally, uh, ultimately ending as the second largest burn treatment company on earth and selling then to number one. Uh, burn treatment within that category, I should be really clear with. Um, so very much a niche market, but a great product, just the same. Uh, moved into diagnostics a couple of years later and have spent the remainder years of my career in diagnostics, something I happen to be really passionate about. I'm also the CEO of Cebus Biotechnologies, which is working on a handheld portable uh, diagnostic system to be used for infectious disease. But Ionic, then, which I got involved with in 2018, is working on early cancer detection. Super cool technology.
1: Got it. Yeah, and I'm. I'm. I think we'll we'll get into we'll learn a little bit more about uh, about the tech and kind of where you guys are headed and your general thoughts around uh, around the future of uh, you know consumer driven healthcare specifically as it relates to to diagnostics. But before we go too deep on that note, so Jared, it seems like um, you know, in looking at kind of your uh, you know, kind of your turnarounds, I guess, for lack of a better description, which I think we're going to get to it. We're, we're going to discuss in a little bit later here in the, in this, in this conversation, but there was some overlap between what you were doing at Xero and then uh, your time at Apollo. And then that kind of that spin out with, with Cebus like, were you, were these projects that you were working on simultaneously, or just maybe, can you add some, some color around that?
0: So absolutely projects that I was working on simultaneously. Uh, Xero went from 2012 to the exit in 2016. Uh, We founded Apollo in 2014 and then uh, Sebas Biotechnologies in 2017. So there's been some overlap. Again, then Ionic Sciences being added in 2018, I took over there. So there's always been overlap between them. Generally, I'm with two companies at a time. Um, working on advancing the science and the technology and, and taking the company or the product or the technology to a certain stage, at which point, historically, I've then turned that over or sold it.
1: Got it. Very good. And, and just one other follow up question um, before we kind of get to you know, the, the 2018 time frame where you were considering, you know, um, moving on to Ionic. What, what what does that look like when you're? I mean, you're you're obviously raising capital and turning around some of these companies. Do you just get do you get buy-in from from your investors to sort of work on projects simultaneously, or is that just sort of like what your your kind of mo is? Like you you like sort of your team knows that you are you might be working on multiple projects simultaneously. It's not going to be distracting to you know kind of your your primary uh, your primary focus.
0: So that's the agreement. And it's yeah. it's actually in my contracts that I will be working on other projects simultaneously. And believe it or not, I actually find that I'm able to operate more effectively, and I'm able to lead the teams more effectively by doing that. Uh, I'm a heavy thinker. Uh, and the more I can transition between projects, actually, the clearer I'm able to think. And I honestly believe the more value I'm adding to those companies. Um, for example, Without being specific, right now I'm with Cebus Biotechnologies and Ionic Sciences. And even just last week, I was in a meeting at Cebus Biotechnologies, and the next day I came over to Ionic Sciences and saw something a little bit differently based on my experience just on the other side of the building. We're in the same building, or in the same complex rather. And we were immediately able to just apply some small changes that I think fundamentally are going to make Ionic Sciences a stronger and better company. I think that sometimes you get too much down into the hole. You're, You're in it too far. And when you're in it too far and you're not able to break out and think about something, force yourself to think about something else, I don't think you always, at least for me, I don't think clearly in that. Uh, when I add another element where I'm being forced to go and address something else in a different application, I can come back and think more clearly rather than just feel the intensity of the stress around the situation. I'm able to really strategically evaluate the situation.
1: Got it. No, that, that, that's super helpful. I'm glad, I'm glad you even mentioned that because, um, gosh, his name is escaping me. His last name is Bishara. I think his first name is John, but he's a, um, it's kind of a, a, a startup guy in, in the in, in Silicon Valley, and he wrote this piece. Gosh, I think it's probably been a year ago now, um, where it kind of, he kind of detailed out like the future of um, the future of, of of CEOs, where it's like there's this one project that they're working on, but it it almost it's it's synergistic because just like a an architect may be working on different plans at the same time, but one of them is taking up maybe you know three fourths of his or her time the same thing applies to, you know, uh, startup leaders and that they they may be focused on one thing, but they're also moving along other projects in parallel that may be synergistic or maybe kind of completely separate things down the road. And anyway, it's a great piece. So, and, and I, as I kind of studied your background a little bit, you know, leading up to this conversation, it kind of reminded me of that, of that interview. And I wish, I wish more, maybe this is not the best way to describe it, but it seems like there's sometimes some, some unnecessary friction, right. From investors when there's startup leaders that are doing or, um, Kind of, you know, I guess working on multiple things at the same time, they get they get unnecessarily concerned about that. Where in, in reality, it's probably it probably behooves everyone involved, you know, as, as long as the CEO is the uh, the person that can make that work, you know.
0: So I, th- I think that's right. I, I if you ever find that, send it to me. I'd love to yeah. see it. But ultimately, investors do from time to time, and I've had investors take a pass because they did not like this idea. And I've had investors come to me with concern or um, with frustration. Ultimately, though, I believe that investors, for the most part, have been in my camp once they have seen really the advantages of it or the outcome of it, rather. Um, But I'll tell you that I see this even in just my own staff. So it's not just the CEO. And I don't think we should look at it that way. I mean, I've found that my staff members are more effective when they transition between projects. If they have, if they leave something, go deep into something else, when they come back, they're seeing it with fresh eyes. And ultimately the outcome is just, it's better.
1: Yeah, no doubt. No, no doubt. I I 100% uh, agree. It's kind of, um, it, it reminds me of my time, like my time in a, um, in an agency, all that was relatively brief. But your time spent off in an agency is oftentimes um, you can learn so much that much faster. Like it's, the, the timelines um, expedited, just because or amplified, I should say, because uh, you're working on so many different projects at at, at one time. And I think it uh, it makes a lot of sense within the con- confines of, uh, of, of of this discussion. But I'll I'll pull I'll pull up that article uh, after the conversation, uh, after this uh, this this podcast interview. Shoot your way. You'll probably you'll probably enjoy it. But on that note, let's uh, let's talk a little bit. Uh, let's let's kind of transition into into Ionic and what you guys are doing, and learn a little bit more thoughts about um, about what the the future holds there. But take us back to kind of that two thousand eighteen timeframe. What did you see um, in Ionic that compelled you to kind of uh, uh, dig a little bit deeper and consider uh, consider taking this project on?
0: So I do turnarounds, right? And Ionic happened to fall into that category. And I think we see this a lot in our industry and in life sciences in general. And what happens is it takes different teams at different phases of the company. And so we use the term turnaround uh, all the time because I think it's generally understood. I prefer to use different terms. You know, companies have phases and we're moving into the next phase. And the next phase takes a slightly different leadership team. It takes a different skill set. And if you were in a massive company, right, they actually have different teams that pick projects up at different phases and move it through the process. And that applies to small companies as well. And so that's ultimately where the company was in 2018. And and without getting into some of the gory details, of course, there were some governance issues, as happens a lot, again, in our industry. uh, There were some issues um, around some things that had happened with some employees And, and all of those And I don't wanna downgrade the seriousness of those issues because they're absolutely serious and they were addressed first and foremost. But in our industry, everything comes down to technology. And is the technology, how valid is the technology? How novel is the technology? How strong is your IP around the technology? And then you have to ask the question of where is the technology today versus what is the promise of the technology in the future, right? And so that's ultimately the analysis that I do. Um, and so I look at this and I kind of put things in into buckets. And what was interesting about Ionic Sciences, even in 2018, was you had this company that had been around for a number of years, had completed multiple clinical trials, had clinical data that supported... Some of the claims that they were making, but also had this opportunity for this great unknown in the future as how broadly applicable is the technology? And that was the question of the day, right? And so in 18, we came, I came in and we made a number of immediate changes to the team, changed out governance, changed out the entirety of the board, brought in a brand new board, people with a lot of deep industry expertise, kept some of the core team but then also begin to add a a stronger scientific element the reason for doing all of that one the the board needed to be modified specifically to solve some of the governance issues of the day we also i believe really strongly in having a strong board Uh, and so we have one we have a board that you know takes us to task on certain things make sure that we have quality systems regulatory manufacturing um, trials all of those pieces in place and specifically we recruited for the ionic board key board members that brought those areas of expertise with them and so as you go around the boardroom on any given day i have board members speaking to different areas of issues and that's been a great addition to our team back to the com- and and that ultimately we with that we were able to solve the governance issues we were able to raise the capital that we needed for the next phase and we were able to move forward in advancing the science and technology and so and and so we began to move forward and i'll just you know the the team that the company had and this is this is not unique to ionic and it's but it's hard always to find and i'll give you an example here in just a second but there are on every team, people who fundamentally care about the purpose of the company. And then there are people on the team that it's just a job. And deciphering that during a period of change is really difficult to do. So I'll give you an example. We had a guy um, who was, as I looked at the org chart for the company, Ionic Sciences did not yet have a product ready to go to market, right? Pre-FDA, pre-submission, and we'll dive into more of the story of, of where we are today in a second. But that's where the company was in 18, was pre all of those things. And so I'm filtering through the team and I'm saying, who do I keep? Who do we remove? Because we've got to trim up some fat. We've got to cut costs. And ultimately, the goal was to begin to spend in a quarter What the company previous to me coming in as CEO spent in a month, right? So basically, we've got to cut this thing by two thirds. And so you're trimming a lot of stuff, you're trimming a lot of fat. And the way you do that is almost by job title in the beginning. And then you kind of work your way back. So I go and I'm looking at this one afternoon and I've made the decision as to who I'm going to fire the next day. And I get a phone call from one of the individuals who's on my list. And he says, Hey, can I? meet with you. And I said, no, I don't really have time to meet. And he said, well, you know, can I, I'll come to you. And I said, well, I have to eat dinner. uh, So if you want to bring me dinner, you can come and we'll sit down and we can talk over dinner. And so he did, and he sat down and he was really bold. And he said, look, I think that I'm probably on the chopping block. And he was the chief marketing officer for a company with no product, right? This is, there's, there's not a direct fit there. And I had to admit, yeah, no, you're, Here on the chopping block, and he said, "Well, if you'd give me a seat at the table, I promise you, I'll perform." And we had this long conversation, and I and um, short on details here, but he convinced me over this forty-five minute period that he should be with this company maybe forever, and so we kept him on, and you know, graded has been super valuable to the team, and I can I can point specifically to certain times as with all startups, but especially startups going through transition, there are certain points in a timeline where you say, the company is on the verge of failing. Do we make it through or not, right? And as I look back and I look at some of those, he was critical to the success in some of those areas. So that's where it was in 2018. Those were the first steps that we took. We eliminated a lot. We trimmed up the company pretty substantially, brought in more of a scientific team. Really, to ask that question: um, What is the promise of this technology? First of all, can we get through the FDA with what we have? And second, what is the promise of the technology?
1: Got it. And thanks for sharing that story, by the way. That's phenomenal, and it, 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 it's a it's a great lead into kind of my next question around, you know, other key kind of um, recommendations, suggestions, et cetera, Considering your your uh, your experience, kind of in, in successfully turning around, um, you know, companies. Um, but before we but before we get there, um, I am super interested um, to dive a little bit deeper, which we'll get to here in the back half of the conversation around what that technology of Ionic, the promise of that technology, and what it holds. You know, um, what you what you see because it sounds like that was pretty paramount, kind of leading up to uh, you know you uh, you taking over the helm uh, back in two thousand eighteen. Is that you know what what does this really look like? You know, three, four, five, maybe ten years down the road. So I'm I'm, I'm excited to get into that. But on the topic of turnarounds. Other than you know what you, the story that you just shared, are there is there anything else that comes to mind in terms of things that you've either learned or done that have been instrumental in in, in kind of the, those successes that you've had?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's there's a there's a couple of elements that I, I think are just more general business thoughts applied to turnarounds that are critical, and I think they're critical in any business, but specifically as we look at turnarounds you have to determine whether or not a company can move into that next phase or be saved or be turned around or however you want to phrase that, right? And it depends on the situation of the company. And generally in our space, you're going to have problems either in uh, either you have issues with IP or you have issues with governance or you have issues in regulatory or you have issues in uh, your core science, right? That's kind of where you're going to find that and then within that manufacturing distribution there's a whole slew of kind of secondary issues that fall into that quality systems and the like but those to me are the core and so as we look at that you say i i always ask these questions um uh, is the technology novel yes or no and the reason i ask if it's novel is It's really difficult with a me too product that's already having issues or is having to go through a really difficult transition period to take that next step. That's issue number one. Issue number two is by asking, is it novel? You're asking inadvertently, how well can we protect this, right? Something truly novel is also patentable. Generally speaking, Uh, you're able to have some trade secrets, generally speaking and those things are really protectionary to the entity itself. And so I always say, is it novel, right? The second thing I ask is is there actually a market? Is anybody ever going to buy this? Is there a need? And what I see in our industry a lot is people making incremental improvements to existing technologies Um, What I'm looking for in the companies I'm turning around or the companies I get involved with is, can we make a leap? Uh, Is there something where we can leap forward? We can really stand out. So that leap can be that I have a new, faster, better way of doing this that is maybe five to 10 years ahead of where everyone else is in terms of development. That could be, or it could be that that leap is related more to there's a need in the marketplace and there isn't yet a product that fills that need. But all of those, you know, those things become really critical. And then, of course, you ask all of the the general business questions: the governance, the financial, the manufacturing, the quality systems. Um, in addition to then, is there a regulatory pathway? And so those are all critical. So in the the case of ionic sciences, for example, the issues were governance related and then a lot of science questions, but not science questions in terms of, you know, is there validity to this scientific questions in terms of how far can this thing go, which is a much better question to be asked, right? And that's ultimately where the, where ionic was. But I would just say to anybody who's looking at that, make sure that the core elements are there right? You can get through governance problems. You probably get through some regulatory issues. You can probably get through manufacturing quality issues, right? Those things can be corrected for, they can be moved. But if it's not novel, if you can't get IP around it, if there's no market for this thing on the other side, if you're just a me too product, you know, if you're only making small incremental improvements rather than taking a leap forward, your likelihood of success is pretty low.
1: Got it. No, that's good stuff. So let let's presume, you know, uh, a scenario like Ionic, right? Mm-hmm. Novel, uh, and we'll get into this in more detail, but novel technology, large market, defensible, um, et cetera, what, what are the kind of the key things um, that enable success in raising capital, right? Whether it's for a turnaround like Ionic or whether it's just for a new project altogether that needs a series A or, or whatever, whatever round of financing, because that's always like, I mean, it's, it's one of the, the, the biggest hurdles, right? And kind of this, the startup e- ecosystem is, is getting investors, you know, bought in and, and successfully raising around. So what's been, uh, you know, any, any keys to your success over the, uh, over the past decade doing this? That's a big question. Um, <laughs> In 30 seconds or less, Jared, you need to answer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a big question. And, and, and look, investors are all different. And so bucketing investors into a investor category, what's the key to investors is an impossible question to answer because investors are all looking for something different. I would just say that when you find that group of investors who fundamentally are aligned with the entity that you're um, representing, you've got a a great chance of having an investor to work with. And so what I mean by that is at Ionic Sciences, we have a number of investors who have been personally impacted by cancer, generally lung cancer, but sometimes others who recognize that we need to look at this differently. We need to be really aggressive about detection. Um, Early detection is everything. And so fundamentally they're aligned with us. And so there still has to be all of the right business elements, the right valuation. You still have to go through the meetings, the presentation, due diligence and all of that work. And And I'm not sure that that makes that work any easier by any means, but it does make it so that on the other side, you have an investor that you can pick up the phone to, you can call and you can say, here's where we're at, who is in this for more than just the payday on the other side and becomes much more of a partner than just an investor. And so we do our best to find investors that align with us. We do our best to communicate with them. Uh, We have a really solid communication strategy. And subsequently, we've seen a lot of our investors over the last few years um, come to the table with additional investment as it was needed by the entity to support us rather than just to invest. And that's a really powerful Place to be, and we've been really grateful for that. We, I've got a lot of investors, all different. You know, all, something different drives each of them, but when we're aligned, uh, it's really powerful.
1: Yeah, I, I I had two different conversations recently. One with um one with a, a founder of a pretty pretty well known consumer brand that's been pretty successful in their recent raises, and then another kind of more we'll, we'll just classify this as like you know a, a company that's operating in the in the med tech space. Literally echo the same the same exact sentiment that you did is like their biggest mistakes in raising. I asked I asked them the same yeah, similar type of question, right? It was kind of loaded, <laughs> loaded like this, a, a bit a bit difficult to you know definitively answer. But they did they they echoed the same thing. The biggest they, instead they kind of framed it around like what would they what would they do differently? And they said that they, they they said the same thing. Like I would try if if at all possible try to avoid investors that are just looking to make an investment and are not aligned with what we're trying to do. So um, hearing you say the same thing, especially considering your, uh, you know, your recent successes with these various, uh, these various companies, um, I think is, uh, should probably, probably hits home for a lot of other, uh, you know, med tech, biotech, health tech uh, entrepreneurs that are kind of in the same boat.
0: Well, I think it's hard, right? And I, I appreciate that. And I, and I, I think a lot of people share that sentiment. I've also though been in the situation of a CEO of a young startup, not yet having found those who are aligned and desperate for capital to take those next steps, right? And so I've been on both sides of this. And I guess the sentiment I share is, you know, to anyone who'd be who's listening who is, you know, looking is in the middle of a startup or is wants to start something up or you know anything along those lines. Is spend your time, not just talking to every person you meet, spend your time filtering through and finding the investors and then meeting strategically with those that are aligned, you know, and and this is actually a lesson that I forgot a year ago. And we went out to the marketplace and we reached out to everybody under the sun and it wasn't, um, wasn't very strategic and it wasn't also wasn't very successful. We actually had to go back and reframe the raise and do it differently. We're going back out to the market with this particular with with a particular investment opportunity right now and we're doing it very differently very systematic very strategically finding those investors who are aligned with us filtering them as best we can before we meet and i'm confident the outcome is going to be substantially better for us
1: hey there it's scott and thanks for listening in so far The rest of this conversation is only available via our private podcast for MedSider Premium members. If you're not a Premium member yet, you should definitely consider signing up. You'll get full access to the entire library of interviews dating back to 2010. This includes conversations with experts like Renee Ryan, CEO of Cala Health, Nadeem Yared, CEO of CVRX, and so many others. As a premium member, you'll get to join live interviews with these incredible medical device and health technology entrepreneurs. In addition, you'll get a copy of every volume of MedSider Mentors at no additional cost. To learn more, head over to medsiderradio.com forward slash premium. Again, that's medsiderradio.com forward slash premium.